0: This is Arab Talk with Justin Jamal. This is Jess Gunnam live from San Francisco, and we're speaking with Jamal Dejani from Greece in the island of Crete. And this is Arab Talk with Justin Jamal. We have a lot to go over today. There's actually quite a bit to cover. But before we get going on the news, Jamal, I just wanted to ask, because you know the fires in Greece continue to be a big story. We know the Greek authorities continue to investigate whether or not this was the product of arson or not. But can you give us an update on the Greek fire situation?
1: Well, this is less of an issue now. I mean, uh, it is uh, still under investigation and and things seem to be under control. Definitely better than last week. Jess. but there is a Europe's is uh, we have a, a heat record. Uh, and heat records are getting broken in several countries in Europe including Spain and Portugal uh, so the uh, for example the uh, current european record uh, so far is 118.4 fahrenheit which was set in Athens in July 1977 and we are close to this record in Portugal and in Spain it's about 116 0.6 wow. Fahrenheit in Portugal, I'm sorry, in Portugal it's 117.3 uh, Fahrenheit and in Spain it's 116.6 Fahrenheit, so for those doctors about uh, global warming, I mean this is a major wake-up call and of course Athens this time of the year is very is, uh, and, and Greece in general is very hot, and of course with the fires, and now the question is uh, the heat wave, and uh, in combination with arson, it's a, it's a very problematic issue.
0: Right, and uh, in case you haven't been able to follow all of the news here from the Bay Area in Northern California, California is in the midst of one of the worst fire seasons as we speak, We have a number of fires in upper northern California which have destroyed tens of thousands of acres, have killed, you know, more than 10 people right now and have destroyed over a thousand homes. That's the Carr fire. And there are fires uh, all over California right now, north, south, uh, and in the middle. And so we are also experiencing a bit of, uh, except for San Francisco proper, where we have our natural air conditioning with the Fog Bank moving in, there's still quite a bit of heat that we're experiencing right now here. So um, I guess for all the doubters of climate change, uh, this is a really tough thing to confront right now.
1: Absolutely, and uh, we'll be reporting on this on a weekly basis, but I wanted to go back to the title of our show, Jess, and as we were connecting, which I posted on Facebook, so we'd like to hear from our followers on Facebook live. And the question of the day is uh, uh, basically who meddles or interferes more in US elections, Russia or Israel. So this is the question of the day. And we'd like to hear from uh, as many people as possible.
0: Well, I think that's a really great uh, lead in Jamal to talk about things. just given where we are today uh, uh in terms of uh, national news today we are in the th- we are in the third day now of the Manafort uh, trial in Alexandria Virginia right now with some stunning revelations of the amount of money that Donald Trump's uh, campaign manager for 5 months the amount of money that he received from uh Ukrainian former president uh, Yanukovych was uh, exceeded some million uh, in consultant fees, which he tried to evade, it appears, uh, paying taxes on. Also today from the White House, more confirmation of ongoing, this is current, with the lead up to the midterm elections, ongoing Russian interference, undue influence using social media of these Russian troll farms uh, directly in Moscow continuing to uh, disrupt and uh, influence the U.S. elections for the midterms in October of 2018. But you're bringing up, I think, what could conceivably be a much more compelling and interesting analysis because the Russian influence, have only, it's only been somewhat recent that this has been happening, but the Israeli influence in American elections goes way back.
1: Well, it goes way back, and the reason I brought this up because, uh, and we've been talking about this, uh, you know, as you know, we've been talking, reporting on APAC's influence, uh, uh, you know, uh, of course, in in US Congress and on the presidency for many years, but this uh, past week, uh, speaking on democracy now. Uh, you know, uh, Naom Shamsky, uh, he, he, he was being interviewed and he said that Israeli intervention in U.S. election elections vastly overwhelms anything the Russians may have done, even to the point where the Prime Minister of Israel, Netanyahu, which we know that and we reported on this, he went directly to Congress without even informing the President of the United States, speaking in front of Congress, Uh, with overwhelming applause. You remember that hero's welcome when uh, Benjamin Netanyahu went to Congress when Obama was in office. Basically, he went there to try to undermine the president's policies and this is, of course, he was referring to what happened with Obama and Netanyahu in 2015. So so this, you know, this is now, you know, hearing it from Noam Chomsky, of course, it brought it back to the to the front burner. Uh, also in March 2015, uh, if you recall, at the invitation of then the uh, Republican uh, House Speaker John Bonner, uh, he had, uh, and assisted by Israel's ambassador to the United States, Ron Dermer, Benjamin Netanyahu, basically tried to influence the Iran nuclear deal. So, so they facilitated for him to address the joint uh, session of Congress, the joint houses to basically not only influence, of course, we, we you know, he, 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 was speaking initially in reference to the presidency but he was also, I mean, elections, but he also was trying to influence a major international agreement.
0: That's right, Jamal. And, um, just to put things in perspective when you think about the number of decades that APAC, which is a foreign uh, lobbying uh, group uh, dedicated to promoting the longevity of the uh, Israeli state, has been pumping in tens if not hundreds of millions of dollars over the decades into various, and this is what makes it really uh, concerning, into congressional, senate, local races for decades now. Now, the thing that makes it, uh, in my opinion, even more problematic is that they are not uh, you know, giving more money to Democrats or Republicans or independents. They're giving money to anybody who will support the Israeli mission and Israeli goals, quite frankly, over U.S. strategic interests. So, you know, perhaps Noam Chomsky is correct when he says that the influence of the Israelis dwarfs what the influence of the russians has been
1: well uh, the question he also posed and we should pose to our listeners here did putin come to give an address to the joint sessions of congress trying to influence (laughs) to influence them did any other foreign president or monarch for that case besides the uh, kind of uh, the diplomatic parade actually come to address the joint sessions without the approval of the sitting president bypassing, circumventing the administration and addressing a joint session, trying to influence the policies. I mean, this has never never happened, happened. and we know the millions and millions of dollars that APAC and uh, other uh, organizations pour into the U.S. elections trying to influence our elections. So so this is a very valid question. And uh, it's very important for people to to look into it, I think.
0: Well, it it requires a very careful analysis. And uh, as as we've been talking about for many years here on Arab Talk, Jamal, we know that it's had a deleterious and negative impact on the U.S. Congress because we know right now, for example, that there is profound divisions between the Democratic and Republican parties in the United States on every single topic, except for the question of of doing what's in Israel's best interest, which is topical today, Jamal, with all of the problems that we're having right now. The Congress, which cannot agree on anything, is getting ready to authorize 38 billion additional dollars in aid to the state of Israel as we speak. So this is, this is you know, not being covered right now anywhere on the, uh, on the national news, on the local news, uh, on state uh, media, anywhere is this being covered.
1: I, I think you said 38 million dollars in additional, but th- that's, that's the 38 key. 38 billion. Yeah, oh, in so, addition. Well, basically, the addition is actually 550, 550 million in, in addition to the billions that we're giving them. This is, uh, this is, uh, there was an overall 716.3 billion dollars authorization uh, for the entire military budget for the United States. But the U.S. Congress added, increased Israel's huge defense bill, which you talked about the billions, to include just $550 million for Israel. That's the number.
0: Well, I think, you know, um, this is a story that we'll be covering, obviously, for quite some time. But I hope uh, our listeners, if you're listening via Facebook Live on Jamal Johnny 2 or listening to us live here on kpoo.com 89.5 FM or live streaming, you know what you should do? Send us your opinion. What do you think? Do you think the influence of the Israeli bot farm uh, and the Israeli APAC machine is a bigger influence on the U.S. electoral process than the Russians? Send us your comments. Jamal, there's a lot of news coming from Palestine and, and the region, and uh, we should cover it for our, our listeners. One of the next items that we need to cover is that, because um, we, we covered this for many, many months, is that Ahad tamimi and her mother were finally released from administrative detention after spending some six-plus months uh, being held in, mili- in a military detention facility uh, in Palestine. They were just released— to Heroes Welcome. How was that covered on the Palestinian press and how was that covered uh, on Israeli state media?
1: Yeah, well, it, it received a lot of coverage. Of course, the coverage on the Israeli media was different from that of Palis- the Palestinian and Arab media, but it also received a lot of coverage in Europe. And I just again to remind our listeners, this is Arab Talk with Justin Jamal. Uh, we're broadcasting live on KPOO 89.5 FM San Francisco, but we're also, I in, I am in Greece and Jess is in San Francisco, so that's why sometimes we have a little bit of uh, delay in, in the sound. The uh, basically, uh, you know, Ahed Tamimi received a hero's welcome, uh, in my opinion, of course she you know she's now a Palestinian icon but in a way there was a little bit of um, I would say, Uh, abuse of her uh, fame uh, by different groups. Everyone tried to claim her, including the Palestinian authority and the government, and forgetting that really that she is a Palestinian, you know, belongs to the entire nation, and she is a hero uh, for everyone. So there was a little bit of, of parading her initially, but now things have subsided. Uh, of course, the Israeli media and not all Israeli media because the Israeli media don't want to be you know it's not a monolith, you know uh, uh, there are outlets uh, who were fair in their coverage, but then there are there were others who were very critical because you know the conservative Israeli media uh, they describe her as a provocateur and uh, someone who's vying for attention and And you know even at times uh, I forgot what they had. oh, they were referring to her as uh, they had a nickname for her as a sherry Temple, uh, Sherry temple or something like this Yeah something Shirley like
0: Temple, that's, that's right. that's right act, She was just act, acting
1: that she was acting, you know, and of course the formal uh, Israeli ambassador to the United States, Michael Oren, you remember we talked about this, he described her family as a fake family because she happens to be blonde and looked uh, a little bit more European, etc. And so he described, he tried to paint the entire family as uh, a fake family. Uh, But anyway, she is, uh, she is being, uh, she has been described as a Palestinian activist, as a hero. And recently, Nelson Mandela's grandson, uh, Mandela Mandela, uh, he has invited her to South Africa to receive a special award for bravery, resistance, and being a symbol of hope for millions. So I think that's very important. And of course, uh, the South African media, uh, media outlets and Afro-Palestine Newswire service uh, uh, have been very supportive.
0: We'll see if the Israelis uh, give her a travel visa, or travel permit to travel to South Africa, but the invitation from uh, from uh, Mr. Mandela to uh, Ahed at Tamimi goes beyond just the symbolism, Jamal. It talks about the the, the relationship between apartheid South Africa and its struggle and the apartheid conditions that Palestinians live under now, uh, currently both in the West Bank, Gaza, and in uh, historic Palestine in 1948.
1: That's right. And, and talking about the media in Israel, so now the media in Israel is uh, overwhelmingly uh, going back to covering the story, of course, of uh, what Israel refers to the passing of the nationality law and uh, which has been described as an apartheid law basically but the story is not i mean there is a debate in the israeli media because i think uh, i think politically speaking maybe 67 to 70% of israelis support this law and so there is a large minority approximately about 30% who are against it? Well, the big story recently has been with the the Arab uh, Druze minority, right, in Israel, right. and uh, and as you know, Druze in Israel serve in the Israeli military, and so they've had a couple of resignations of uh, high level officers or threats of resignation, including. The Druze leaders, uh, who basically the senior representatives of the Druze community, uh, headed by Sheikh Mu'affaq Tarif, they uh, met with Netanyahu because Netanyahu, so they've been making a lot of noise and, and saying, What about us? And uh, I, I can't say on a personal level, or for most Palestinians, uh, People feel sympathetic towards them. That's that's the sad reality. Because as you know, just uh, the Druze and maybe a couple of other minorities, uh, 19, starting even from 1947, not even 1948, started to cooperate and collaborate with the uh, earlier on with the Zionist gangs and then later on with the state of Israel so they can get a better deal uh, under the state of Israel. And they felt for many years that they were equal citizens, but the reality is that they weren't.
0: And now... That's exactly right, Jamal. The chickens have come home to roost for the Druze community who unfortunately did live under that delusion that they were somehow equal citizens with everybody else they never have been because there is tremendous uh uh racism against the jews community despite their you know uh, uh, their status as being israeli citizens but this law must have been a huge slap in the face for the jews community as you said yeah they've been they've been fighting in their military
1: They've been fighting in the military, they've been dying with the Israelis, they've been uh, part and parcel of the oppression and the occupation of Palestinians. They thought that they were equal and now all of a sudden uh, their language, which is Arabic, the Druze are Arabs. Well, you know, I mean, Israel tried for many years to uh, basically break down the Palestinians in and Arabs living in uh, under its control, you know. Uh, giving a nationality uh, or uh, to the Druze, uh, like Druze are separate from Arabs, Christians are separate from Muslims and so forth, but the fact of the matter, they're just Druze who happen to be in Palestine, just like the Druze who who, uh, who live in Syria and in Lebanon, they are part right. and parcel of the Arab world, their language is, is Arabic and um, uh, their uh, religions is an offshoot of Islam. and. Uh, so, uh, so basically, now they've been betrayed and uh, I mean, they've, they've put all their eggs in one basket, uh, which is basically backing the several Israeli governments before. And so now, of course, here comes Mr. Netanyahu with his great proposals as, and as we know how fantastic his proposals are. So, so because he, he started to feel the heat you know, coming from them and the pressure, he presented a new plan. He, What's he, the new plan? The new plan, What's basically, new plan? the law stays the same, so the law, this racist apartheid law stays the same, but he wants to have some provisions, you know, several provisions ah. in it saying anchoring in the law and I'm just paraphrasing some of the things that I've written down anchoring in the law the status of the Druze and the Circassians or we call them Sharkas in communities in living in under the Israeli government the law Will esteem the contribution of the Druze community to the State of Israel in building up the country, blah 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 blah, he has like this is one provision, like kind of basically recognize them and pro- promises residential construction, including solutions for residential construction and the establishment of new communities as necessary and the preservation of the Druze heritage. Big deal. Item number two anchoring in law the eligibility for benefits uh, for them, so, so give them additional money benefits. Also, he wants to, uh, you know, establish a liaison to make sure some of these, the rights are protected. I don't know what a bunch of nonsense, basically, without reversing the law saying, okay, we recognize your contribution, you know, uh, and and there were calls from the Israeli uh, chief of uh, the staff in the military saying, stay away from politics, you know, you need to serve in in the military. And but the good news, I mean, I, I think, unless they kind of succumb again to their, uh, I would say, ill-informed leadership, because the Druze, right. basically listen to their leaders, they listen to their spiritual uh, leaders, the sheikhs and so forth. Uh, they, they call them in Arabic Aql, Akel is the head of the clan. Akel in Arabic translates into brain, like the head, you know, or the wise man, the wise man of the 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 planet. That's why, for example, the Druze in Palestine, they decided to go with the Israelis, but not the Druze in 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 at least for up till now in Syria and in in in, in Lebanon. So. Uh, they refuse the plan. So far, they have refused the plan. I don't know if this is going to change, but this is like, like you've said, just, it's a big slap in the face and really exposes Israel and the Israeli government and the, and, and Benjamin Netanyahu to what they are, a state built, built well, on racism. How How is that?
0: But they're just trying to get the Jews, Jamal, to use a, a phrase that, to, you know, is used in another context. They want, They want the Jews to be happy house Arabs as opposed to the field Arabs that are all the other Palestinians that live in historic Palestine. That's simply what this is. And whether or not the Jews are going to accept this so-called special status, why would they try and accept this when they're just going to be fooled and disrespected and treated as second-class citizens yet again?
1: And they have been, I mean they have been, there were many instances actually if you go back you know some of their uh, military people were refused service at bars, uh, I remember an incident like this, they have discrimination, and there is a minority of them who have been rejecting service in the Israeli army. But sadly, I haven't seen changes except this last thing from the Israeli uh, military, I mean, uh, from their, uh, the Druze uh, leadership. Uh, they've always kind of like, um, as you said it, they they want to be the 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 good house Arabs uh, under the Israeli uh, rule and yeah. serving serving the oppressors for for the crumbs that they give them on the table, and that's what they have been doing, and yep. they are known to have been very oppressive of their fellow, you know, brothers and sisters uh, from other sects, Palestinians, both Muslim and Christians.
0: You know, there's other stuff going on, Jamal, and I want to make sure we get to this. Uh, In the midst of all of this activity with the apartheid law that the Israelis have passed and all of the other things, Gaza, uh, because of uh, a recent... uh, Command by Israeli Defense Minister Avigdor Lieberman, who's from Moldova, but uh, I guess he's now the IDF minister, has issued a decision to ban the entry of all fuel and gas into the Gaza Strip through Karam Abu Salem, you know, the, that one crossing point until further notice. This accentuates and exacerbates and worsens the siege on gaza which is going now on in its 12th year and the situation in gaza right now jamal there's no other word to describe it but beyond grave because of the uh, lack of uh, fuel that's coming in the obvious shortages of food water and medicine the situation is very bad
1: It is very bad, and the excuse that uh, was given by the Israelis, uh, as you mentioned, just Israel reimposed the blockade of fuel supplies to Gaza yesterday, and what they say, this was in response to a resurgence resurgence of the flow of fire uh, paper kites uh, across the border. So uh, that's the main excuse and their defense minister, Avigdor Lieberman, said the crackdown was in response to the pursuit of terrorism. So now we have the Israeli government with the, uh, what is it, the fourth largest army in the world. They are facing, uh, having a showdown with what I call it, the Gaza Air Force of paper kites. (laughs) And so so it's the (laughs) the F-16s against, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, all their might against these paper kites and 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 hence this uh, fuel blockade. But it's not just really blo- uh, the fuel. Fuel is of course very important. But they are restricting most uh, goods from entering into Gaza. They are they are also uh, refusing entry into Gaza to journalists and and and, and to. Uh, and, and to citizens from Gaza exiting from Gaza, some of them, very few of them, get special permits for uh, medical reasons, really, to that, to travel right. to and the I'd West Bank. I'd
0: also ben. like to uh... quote uh, Munir al Bursh. Munir is the director general of the pharmacy and health ministry in Gaza, and he said that uh, the current uh, situation is that. The Ministry of Health in Gaza is suffering from severe shortages of all medicines and medical consumables. And the current deficit rate is basically they're operating at uh, less than 48 percent in terms of the availability of just basic medicines and medical consumables that are needed to not. and We're not talking about high level secondary and tertiary medical care, Jamal. We're talking about basic medical necessities consumables medications at the most basic level over 50 percent they're at a 50 percent deficit at this time
1: That's right and this this comes at a time when as you know activists attempted to sail a fishing boat uh, carrying right. a mostly medical aid to Gaza but were intercepted by the Israeli Navy and uh, they were arrested many of them complained of violence during the boarding. Of the ship. Uh, I think they the number were 20 uh, internationals, and they, they intercepted them, uh, you know, dozens of miles off the coast of Gaza on Sunday, and they processed and uh, deported most of the crew. I don't know if everyone is out as of recently, but uh, uh, the, the ship was carrying a Norwegian flag, and it was immediately surrounded by 12 Israeli military vessels vessels with hundreds of armed soldiers so so this happened at the same time when they were restricting medical aid and fuel into Gaza as well as other other goods
0: and according to Hassan Al Hayak chairman of the Palestinian business association in Gaza uh, reported of the potential for wide collapse in the in the economic system in Gaza due to the total stopping of export movement from inside and outside the Gaza Strip at this time. And basically what the Israelis have done is increased uh, uh, to 400 types of basic goods to Gaza that are being denied entry and exit through the Karam Abu Salam crossing. So this is on an already fragile economic situation in Gaza, Jamal. We see increasing pressure. My question to you is, is this the uh, Kushner peace plan? Is this what the this uh, grand Kushner peace plan is all about?
1: Well, did you notice we we stopped hearing about the deal of the century? I mean, uh, there is no news about the so called (laughs) deal of the century. Exactly. And and recently there was a statement issued by the king of Saudi Arabia because most of the, most as you know, most of the press uh, uh, out of Saudi Arabia comes in the name of the crown prince, but this time uh, a statement was issued by the father, the king, who uh, some say, you know, his, his sick saying that we will not go with the Americans Uh, we won't accept the deal of the century. We'll just accept whatever the Palestinians accept. So so that deal of the century, you don't hear a lot about it. Well, and
0: the reason we don't hear about it, Jamal, is because uh, uh, the Kushner plan was basically telling Palestinians that we will we will we will give you less than seven percent of historic Palestine. We will deny access of Palestinian refugees their inalienable right to come back to Palestine. And we'll reinitiate aid, economic aid, to make you dependent on uh, American American foreign aid and Israeli tax money, which is yours anyway. And if you agree to that, then we will give you the opportunity to call that peace. Now, of course, even Abu Mazen could turn that down. We later found out that they were trying to do a divide and conquer where they were trying to cut a special deal with the, uh, with the authorities in Gaza without even, uh, you know, after Abu Mazen uh, declined that offer. So there's all sorts of dirty deals that were attempted. This is no, I mean, despite all of the sarcasm that we're saying on the air, there is no peace. The Kushner plan is a joke. The Kushner Plan is nothing more than trying to uh, encourage you know um, basic uh, slavery uh, positions for Palestinians to give them little crumbs of uh, uh, of uh, economic aid and uh, to have them just be happy uh, subservient slaves on on their uh, on Palestinian land of course they 're going to deny it, and my suspicion is Jamal and you remember one of my predictions at the beginning of the year is that jared kushner in 2018 i predicted would be indicted and i think the combination of jared kushner's star falling in the white house the possibility that he will be indicted there will be no beautiful grand deal of the century uh, for palestinians uh, anytime in the foreseeable future
1: i think the bet is still on uh, I think you said that he'll be indicted this year, so you 2018, have...
0: 2018, right. 2018. More months.
1: So you have a few more months. Uh, I'm not so sure about this, even though he deserves to be indicted for several reasons, but uh, somehow they seem to be slipping and sliding away with uh, all these accusations. But, now, uh, yeah. in other yeah, news, I, I wanted to throw in this story, uh, people might have missed it. And, you know, former presidential candidate Mike Huckabee... Yeah? You know, he's the father of Huckabee, the spokesperson for the White House. Right, Sarah Sanders Huckabee. Sarah Sanders Huckabee. So, he's currently in a settlement in the West Bank. He He is? Yes, uh, he's also the former governor of Arkansas. He laid bricks and spread cement on Wednesday in a new settlement called Efrat. And he oh said, God. yeah, oh I mean, God. I'm not making this up, guys. This guy oh my God. ran for president for the United States, is currently staying on stolen Palestinian land in the West Bank. He went and laid the foundation for another illegal colonial settlement, and and I'm here, I'm using his words, and he said that, um, you know, of course, uh, that he uh, said that he he's interested in purchasing one day a home, a holiday home there. Unbelievable. Am I making yeah, sense? I don't, I don't
0: know. I, so I don't know how to respond to
1: that. <laughs> I'm not making this up, of course, Huckabee, know. whose daughter Sarah's Huckabee Sanders is the White House press secretary, and says he's sure President Donald Trump would have been pleased to join him because he's a builder and he loves to see construction sites. So this is well, that- this is how they view the West Bank: one big construction yes. site, one project, and 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 the total disregard to the indigenous people living there. So the, so the the view is very very bleak when you have a former presidential candidate uh, basically uh, putting the foundation stone for an illegal settlement and when his daughter is the the press secretary for the president of the United States says, oh yeah, the president should have been there or or he would have loved to be there because he loves construction. No mention of this is uh, occupied territory, no mention that this is stolen Palestinian land and he wants to have a vacation and home no men-
0: there. And no mention of international law or United Nations uh, Convention basically calling on the illegality of these uh, expansion of these settlements. Well, Sarah Huckabee Sanders also, Jamal, refused today or perhaps yesterday, I think it might have been today, refused to um, condemn President Trump's statement that the press are the enemy of the people. She was confronted today in a press conference when uh, President Trump at a rally continued to refer to the media as the enemy, uh, the press as the enemy of the people of the United States. Jim Acosta, a CNN uh, correspondent, was not just verbally heckled, but physically um, threatened uh, with, uh, you know, physical harm. And when confronted today, Sarah Huckabee Sanders refused to condemn that statement. And um, we're living in a world where uh, journalists who are attempting to bring truth to this situation are being condemned as enemies of the state. I think this is the context for why uh, Mike Huckabee could go to an illegal settlement, be celebrated for building on illegal stolen land, and have and have there be no consequences whatsoever.
1: Well, uh, also uh, in the news, I think I read something that uh, uh, Donald Trump's daughter, uh, she said that no, she doesn't think that the uh, press is the enemy of the people in an interview. And then, of course, this morning I received a tweet from the president himself answering, saying, yeah, she's right she had she she answered correctly the press is not the enemy of the people but the fake media is the enemy of the people and it's the majority <laughs> of the media is said. so so this is his answer so uh, it's it's really incredible that we live now in a country where you have the president of the United States inciting against certain media outlets whether you agree with those outlets or not cnn of course is is one one and other shows. uh, He attacks. He constantly attacks the only the only good media is Fox News and uh, whatever his favorite show the
0: uh, Uh, it's called. uh, Yeah, Fox and friends and the Hannity show Jamal in some Yeah, in some time left there is an interesting development which we need to discuss and I received some texts, some emails, and some requests for some clarification on this. But And I don't know if you saw this in the Israeli media, but they seem to be, well, at least the Israelis announced today that the civil war in Syria is over, and they actually had what appeared to be complimentary things to say about Bashar al-Assad. This seems really crazy to me. Uh, in terms of the dynamics of what is happening in Syria and everything that is going on, we do know that the Israeli military has been deployed to the occupied uh, golan heights uh, to to you know which has typically been the purview of the u uh, n peacekeepers so in the last forty eight hours, it seems like there 's been some dramatic changes. Have you been? hearing anything about this on the on the Arab press side of things yeah
1: uh, definitely just and of course the in the Israeli media but basically Israel has come to the realization that now uh, Bashar al-Assad is winning the war and uh, little by little the Syrian uh, military uh, has been closing in. On, and, and regaining uh, the territory it has uh, conceded to the so-called rebels, which the, the so-called rebels is a big umbrella that includes the Free Syria Army, uh, ISIS, uh, uh, Al-Qaeda members, who knows what, those who infiltrated from Iraq and other countries. And so they've kind of been shrinking uh, in their control. But most importantly for Israel, Syria has taken control, uh, basically uh, is now controlling all the ter- territory near the Golan Heights, and that's what Israel cares about, because that's, this is what Israel considered as its border. So, so officially, these are the official statements from Israel claiming Syria's long-running civil war had effecti- effectively come to an end and basically uh, predicted the Golan Heights frontier between the two countries would be much quieter over the coming months, and, and, and so they are looking at it from a pragmatic thing, even though they have been meddling, as you know, Syria, I mean, Israel has bombed Syrian troops many times and and, right. and and missile batteries and whatever, but there is something cooking, man. This is not just... this, this doesn't come, uh, you know, in, in, in a void. Uh, there has been meetings between the Israeli government and the Russians, and of course we know uh, the strong relationship between Russia and Syria, so there is an understanding about placement of troops. Also, the Iranians have kind of withdrawn away from the from the what Israel calls as its border in the Golan Heights. So there, the 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 uh, Russians have have assured Israel that uh, no Iranian troops would be placed in, near the Golan Heights. And I think Israel. And, and Israel actually, ha- they have made some uh, some controversial remarks. I think one came from Benjamin Netanyahu saying, "Well, if we go back to the reign of Bashar al-Assad, and I'm paraphrasing here, well, for more than twenty years, there wasn't a single bullet fired from Syria towards Israel."
0: Right. Right.
1: So they're kind of they're kind of like it's. it's it's, for them, it's a, fate, a, a complete that Bashar al-Assad will eventually regain the whole uh, territory and the plans to divide Syria into three countries and we know that these were the plans basically to divide Syria into three countries concocted by uh, Israel, the United States, uh, several countries from the European Union, Saudi Arabia, Qatar. These plans have failed or they're not going to
0: succeed. But it makes me it makes me very suspicious, Jamal, when the Israelis start being the the the, the kind of uh, describers of the political situation in Syria, announcing way before Bashar al-Assad has or anybody else that the civil war has ended, and 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 kind of you know speaking and. From the Israeli perspective, at least in somewhat positive terms of Bashar al-Assad, something smells really fishy to me. And um, because this hasn't been covered anywhere else, it seems to have only been covered in the Israeli press. That's why I'm asking you: Did you see anything in the uh, uh, on the Arab press side about what what is going on? This this seems very suspicious. It also seems like this was I, I and I kind of believe and and hypothesized that this was part of the secret uh, conversation that Donald Trump had with uh, Vladimir Putin. We know that a few weeks ago, Benjamin Netanyahu went to Moscow to take a meeting uh, with Vladimir Putin. Something's being cooked right now, Jamal, and it makes me very nervous. Well,
1: uh, I, uh, you have every right to be nervous. And uh, of course, the situation has not been good for many years, and uh, I don't think it's going to improve quickly, but it's it's a matter of, it's a bigger decision than, uh, than a decision made in Damascus or in Tel Aviv, and you're right, this decision definitely has the writing of the Russians all over Putin and Trump or Putin and Netanyahu, and they've decided that You know, the Syrians are winning the war, and even though many countries, including Turkey and Arab countries, support the rebel, uh, they're not going to succeed. They have been conceding territory. Uh, In fact, we've we've seen also, if you talk about conspiracy theories and things that make you nervous, if you recall the white helmets, right? Uh, yeah that's right who are involved in supposedly rescue, rescuing rescuing uh, the injured in Syria uh, they were evacuated by Israel through Jordan imagine yeah. so 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 they were evacuated and of course the white helmets that re- this requires a whole show by itself because many people say that uh, they are not uh, who they are, who they describe themselves to be, they are agents, agents for other countries and in many times they, uh, they they are the ones who have egged the United States on several occasions to uh, bomb Syria because of uh, the use of chemical weapons and there was no proof of uh, that the Syrian government has used chemical weapons. They relied on their testimonies.
0: Well, we've come to another close of Arab Talk, Jamal. Um, We want to encourage our listeners to listen to us uh, on SoundCloud, to send us comments to uh, ArabTalk at KPOO.com, to check us out on Facebook Live at Jamal Dajani 2, and follow us on Twitter at Arab Talk. Jamal, thanks again. You're doing uh, yeoman's work by staying up past midnight to broadcast the show. We really appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Talk to you
1: next week, uh, Jess. And please uh, send us your comments. Uh, follow us on uh, Twitter, uh, Arab Talk, also our website, arabtalk.com, where you can uh, download all our previous podcasts.
0: We'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon.